Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the want to go ahead and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be uh, looking at this morning. I'm going to be preaching from that passage today. And so go ahead and turn with me there to Acts chapter 2 and uh, stay with me there throughout because we're going to go to it a couple of times uh, throughout today's message. I want to continue my series Empowered this morning. We are believing 2017 to be a year of empowerment for your life and for this church. And we believe that the empowerment to the church comes through the individual life of the believer. Uh, as your life goes, so the church goes. Amen? And, uh, and that's what we're looking for. We're believing that uh, God is wanting to power up your life this year through the Holy Spirit, that this is a year of encounter, a year where you can encounter the presence of God the power of the Holy Spirit in new ways, and through that encounter, He will empower you to do great things in your life. We want to see some people get baptized in the Holy Spirit this year. Amen? We want to see some people's uh, lives changed as the, the gifts of the Spirit are released into this church. And so our series text is found in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. I'll just read that to you this morning. You don't have to turn there. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. I'll read it again. For our gospel didn't come to you in word only. It's not just word only. It's not just studying the word of God, but there needs to be a demonstration of that power revealed in the everyday life of the believer. Amen? Didn't just come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. Today we are beginning our fast and through the next 21 days and through that time, I am asking everybody in the room, if this is your church, you belong to this body of believers, we are asking you to seek uh, God, we are asking you to try to hear from God, let God give you some individual direction for your life. Because again, we believe the individual life impacts the corporate body of believers. And so we're asking you to get some individual direction for your lives that will facilitate the corporate direction uh, of the church. Again, the individual life produces the corporate environment. Uh, it is what happens in your personal life that affects the atmosphere in this place. And when people are healthy and whole and when people are seeking God and when people are empowered by the Spirit of God and when their lives resemble that, when you come into a church gathered together with a bunch of people that are letting the Holy Spirit impact their lives in such a way, it is a power-packed environment where God moves and changes and touches lives and does great and mighty things for people. Blessing... Blessing, empowerment, favor, faith, transformation, all of those things enters the church through the life of the individual. And so we're believing for good things this year. With that in mind, again, I want to encourage you over the next 21 days to really lock in, starting today, to lock into what God is trying to do in you, to seek Him through fasting. Uh, you know, if you can't do the total fast that we're doing for the next 21 days and asking people to sign up for, I understand that. Some people have health issues that doesn't allow them to do that. Uh, and, and so we're not, we're not putting everybody in the same box. But what we're asking you to do is everybody do something. 
you fast um, Cokes, you fast Facebook, you do something that just denies the flesh and gives that place space for God to do something bigger and better in your life. That's what fasting is all about. In a nutshell, it is about denying myself enough to allow room for God to begin to move and operate in my life. And so find something that you can uh, set aside for the next 21 days. I promise you, if you go without Facebook for the next 21 days, you're going to be okay. You're going to live. You will live and not die, I promise. Uh, Matter of fact, some of you would probably have revival in your lives if you did that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Amen. Uh, but everybody do something, and, and we just believe that God will move in your personal life and in the church as a result of that. Last week we talked about dreaming big this year. I also uh, mentioned to you last week that I, has, I was going to pick up some books called The Dream Giver. We're encouraging you during this next 21 days to pick up one of these books and read it over the next uh, few, few weeks. It's a short read, actually, uh, but it's a great book that just challenges you to dream and to seek your God-given dream that God has put in your life, uh, that God has really created you to fulfill. And so this book kind of gives you some ways to do that. I have a few copies left. If you want to pick one of those up, you can for me after service today. And I'll be glad to get that to you. Today I want to preach empowering the church. Empowering the church. And so would you pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you for the anointing in this room today. I thank you, Lord, that it has the power to break every yoke and every bondage in the place. That, God, we are made overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony this morning. Lord, we are looking forward to what you're going to speak into our lives today, God. And as we come together as a people, Lord God, we look for you to do great and mighty things in this church as a result, Lord God. We are one mind, one accord in this place, and we are looking forward to what you're going to do for us and through us and in us in 2017. We pray your blessing upon this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Acts 2, you're going to read the story, and I'm going to read some of it to you this morning about the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a transformative moment in the church. In many ways, it was the launching point for the church. It was really the initiation of the church. And prior to Jesus going to heaven, he tells his disciples, he says to them, go to Jerusalem, and you wait there, and you seek Seek God, you pray until the Holy Spirit comes and you will be endued with power when He does come. And so 120 of of the followers of Christ Jesus gather together in this upper room and they are awaiting the promise of Christ. They are following the obedience of Christ in order to gain the promise of Christ. Now I didn't put this in my notes, but I feel impressed to tell you this morning that if you want to find the promises of Christ, you must first follow the obedience of Christ. Promises of Christ don't just come because we want them to come. They come as a result of us faithfully following God and doing what God tells us to do. Amen. Amen. And so they're following the Lord. They are following Him in obedience. And they're standing in this place waiting for the promise of God. The Bible tells us that they were all in one place and in one accord. Now let me read to you from Acts 2, chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were filled, somebody say filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, two things that we see automatically from the beginning of this verse that is critical to us uh, or to our understanding. First of all, they were together. In other words, they were proximate to one another. They were accessible to one another. They, they were in relationship with one another. They, they knew what was going on in each other's lives. They were involved in each other's lives. They were, they were not just friends or acquaintances, but they were partners in this endeavor that God had sent them on. The second thing that we see is that they were also in unity. Not only were they together, because it's one thing for us to be in the same room together, it's a whole other thing for us to be in unity together. You know, we can gather in the same place, but that doesn't mean we like each other. We can gather in the same place, that doesn't mean we're going to get along with one another. We can gather in the same place, that doesn't mean we're going to accomplish anything together. But they were also together and of one accord. They were in unity They shared a common purpose. They shared a common desire. And as a result of those two things, of them being approximate to one another and also being in unity with one another, the Bible tells us that they were empowered. What has happened in the Pentecostal realm today is many times we focus on the signs and we forsake the significance. We focus on the signs, what the happenings, and we forsake the significance In other words, we internalize oftentimes what needs and what was always meant to be shared. The work that God does in us is not meant to stay in us. The work that God does in your life is not meant to reside only in your life. It is meant to pass through your life and touch someone else along the way. It is meant to have a purpose that is greater than the individual. It starts with the individual. It starts with a heart that seeks God. It starts with somebody that's hungry for something different in their life. But once it comes into your life, it is not meant to stay just there. It's meant to pass through you into someone else's life and to touch them as a result of God touching you. Somebody say amen to that. What effect is the Pentecostal experience, the Spirit-filled experience meant to have on the church? Is it meant to just have manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Is it to simply experience God on a supernatural level? Or is it to a much greater purpose than just those things? The answer to all the questions is yes. It is meant to be something that manifests itself in in the room. I mean, there are things that occur, things that take place. There are feelings that I feel. There are experiences that I have. Those, Yes, that is part of the Pentecostal experience. That is part of being Spirit-filled. It's also meant to experience God on a supernatural level. That None of that stuff is wrong. But it can't stop with those things. It is always meant to have a greater purpose than just impacting the life of an individual or even impacting the life of an individual church. It is always meant to go beyond those moments. The immediate effects of what happens in Acts chapter 2 we see very clearly following Peter's sermon. Three things took place after that experience that those 120 had in that upper room. The first thing that we see is that there was a deep conviction of sin. 
I don't know about you, but I feel very strongly that our world needs a, a, a Pentecostal experience where there is a deep conviction of sin again in the lives of people. We've grown way too accustomed with sin around us. We've been too comfortable with sin around us. We've, we've gotten to where it's just a normal occurrence in our lives today. And it's not something that, that strikes us or upsets us or convicts us and causes us to want more in us. There was a deep conviction of sin. There was also 3,000 people got saved. There was a widespread sense of awe. I think that the church has lost the allness of God, the, the awesomeness of God. The moments that we are just struck by Him in such a way that we can't even articulate in words what we feel and what we're experiencing. I I long for moments like that. Moments where I can't even do anything but just weep and cry in the presence of God. We need those experiences. These attributes, these things, people getting saved, people being convicted of sin, people being awestruck by God. These are attributes and hallmarks of the Spirit-filled church and a Spirit-driven church. The church needs... The church today needs more spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-driven people. And so the residual effects, those were the immediate effects, the residual effects, the long-term effects of the Pentecostal experience are seen a little bit later in the chapter. Let's look there together in Acts Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, In the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily, daily those who were being saved. The Spirit-filled church was an empowered church. The purpose of the Pentecostal experience in the first century is the same purpose of the Pentecostal experience in the modern-day church. What happened then is what God wants to do now. God hasn't changed His mind one iota about the direction and the purpose and the plan that He has for the church. The only thing that has changed is oftentimes we have drifted away from that purpose and we have developed our own purposes along the way. We've changed our, our mission and we've made it into something that benefits us directly instead of a mission sent from God, made by God, directed by God, empowered by God to accomplish the work of God. And so I want to give you some things this morning that are hallmarks of the Spirit-filled church, the empowered church. Verse 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Let me stop there for just a second and just say to you that we need to have an understanding of doctrine in our, in our lives. We have to have that foundation. We need that, that, that strength of character that only comes from understanding doctrine. When I talk about doctrine, I'm not talking about just practical teachings. I'm talking about things that we will live and die by. Things that are just things that are not um, 
up for debate. They're not uh, things that we're going to compromise. These are not things that we're going to debate about and decide later, well, we've changed and shifted our position on. No, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried in a tomb. And then He rose again and He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father. That's doctrine that I'm not going to compromise any of those things in my life or anybody. I don't care if it offends someone. I don't care if it upsets somebody. These are things that we know are true and we're not going to give them up no matter what. We need some doctrine. We're too wishy-washy. we got too many people that have just changed their mind just because someone has a persuasive argument. We base our truth, we base our, our facts, we base our character on the Word of God, not on the Word of man. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. Another translation tells us that they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. The first thing I want you to hear this morning is the church was empowered to learn. The church was empowered to learn. They devoted themselves, the scripture tells us. They committed themselves. They expressed it in their daily lives. It's what we do. We know this. It's what we do that matters to the world, not what we say. It's what we do that matters to the world, not what we say. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. So God gives us the command. Be doers of the word. Activate faith in your life. Activate the things you believe in your life. Live according to the things you say you believe. Too many Christians today say one thing and live this way. Live a different way. We say we believe this, but then nothing in our actions back up what we say we believe. The first church was empowered to learn. We have to be empowered to learn. James 1.22 again. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. But I will say this to you. But before you can be an effective doer of the word, you must be a hearer. You have to put yourself in a position to hear from God. To see what God is saying. To study the word of God and, and be in church where someone can preach to you the word of God. You have got to surround yourself with good, solid teaching. Romans 10, 17 says it this way. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word faith here in this scripture in Romans 10, 17. It it speaks of more than just belief. It speaks of persuasion. It speaks of moral conviction. That's what I was talking about a little bit earlier. Moral conviction. I'm not changing my mind for anybody. I've I've made up my mind. I've, I've studied the Word of God. I know what it says. And I'm not backing down from that. Moral conviction. Reliance upon Christ for salvation. And this is a great one. And constancy in the profession of Christ Jesus. That I am committed. That constancy in my profession is not just with my words, but it's more with the way I live. The greatest profession of your life doesn't come from what you say. It comes from how you live. It comes from how you act at work. It comes from how you act at home. It comes from how we act in just normal, everyday life. It speaks much louder than anything that we would ever say. Growth starts with the Holy Spirit empowerment and it develops as a result of daily interaction with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this in John 14, 26, but the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. It's the Holy Spirit that is our teacher. And we need those moments and those encounters. We need that baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand and know and learn and develop our relationship with God deeper by a clearer and better understanding of the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us learn and helps us grow. Each day of my life, if I will allow Him, He will reveal to me the application of the Word of God which enables me to be the doer of the Word of God. Every single day, if I will walk with Him and if I will give Him time in my life, if I will just give Him some space in my life, He will reveal to me things in the Word of God that can be applied practically in my life so that it moves me from being a theorist about God's Word into a practitioner about God's Word. It moves me from being just a hearer only to being a doer of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is what helps build also in us a desire To learn and grow. He keeps my desire to learn fresh and alive. He keeps me coming back for more each and every day. The church was empowered to learn and we must be empowered to learn as well. Because here's the deal. Growth is a necessity and it is a requirement. It is a necessity to your life. You grow daily or you die gradually. Grow daily or die gradually. I'm either growing every day or I'm dying every day. I'm moving one way or the other. I am never staying still. It's either moving forward or I'm falling backwards. But if we will commit to having those daily experiences where God can speak into our lives, He will help us to grow each and every day. Verse 42, again, it says, They continue steadfastly in the fellowship. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The second thing is the church was empowered to love. The church was empowered to learn and now the church was empowered to love. In verse 42 you read the word fellowship. In verse 44 you see the word common. Both of these words have the same root word. They both speak of a common fellowship. First with God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And secondly, the common fellowship with the church, with one another. It speaks of a common share, that we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus, but we are also co-heirs with one another. Partners with each other as a part of the body of Christ. We see in the, in the early church, in Acts 2, that they had great love for one another. They cared about each other. They had great love for the lost. They were doing everything they could to see people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the Holy Spirit being meant to empower us to love. It says in verse 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. 
Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And verse 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love. Our church is amazing at loving people, and I love that. I love that about our church. I'm proud of that. But I encourage us today, let's do that bigger and better in 2017. We can do that bigger and better in 2017. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47 says, praising God. The third thing we see is that the church was empowered to worship. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to worship. They worship both in the temple and in their homes. They honored God by breaking bread, by taking communion. They worship with joy and reverence. The Bible tells us with gladness and simplicity of heart. One version unites those two words, gladness and simplicity of heart, and says with unaffected joy. They, they, were, they worshiped with joy and reverence with unaffected joy. It couldn't be affected by their surroundings. It couldn't be affected by their paycheck. It couldn't be affected by their health. It couldn't be affected by the difficulties that they faced in life. It was unaffected joy. My decision to worship has nothing to do with my condition. I will say that again. I said, my decision to worship has nothing to do with my condition. See, I'm not worshiping Him because I'm worthy. I'm worshiping Him because He's worthy. I'm not worshiping God because uh, it's something I deserve or because it's something that, that mirrors my successes in life. I'm worshiping Him because of who He is and because of what He's done for me and in me. And so, see, it doesn't matter if I've blown it this last week. I mean, I have messed it up big time. I have, have really messed my life around this week. I have made some bad decisions. He's still God. He still sits on the throne. And He's still worthy of everything that I can muster in my life in the way of worship. So many times we stop short because of the way we feel and because of what we've done and because of what we've gone through. We're not worshiping Him because of those things. We're worshiping Him because of who He is. And He's always worthy and deserving of the best that we can offer Him. Every worship service, I encourage you, every worship service, and we have a great worship team. Not only that, we have great worship pastors. We have great worship pastors that each and every week, they come in here, and you can tell, you can tell the difference between somebody that's spent time praying about what they're doing and someone that's just getting up there and hoping for the best. These guys get up there and they have prayed about what they're doing. Caleb and Morgan, they have something to say to you each and every week. And nine times out of ten, it aligns perfectly with everything that I'm going to be preaching on that day. And we don't talk about those things. And so you know that it comes from a common director who is directing the service when it all comes together. I love that. Welcome to a spirit-filled church. 
And so I'm appreciative of that. But you have great worship pastors that each week encourage you and, and motivate you to lift your hands, to engage your hearts, to lift your voices, and to, and to praise God. And so I encourage you each and every week to come in here and let's make this worship a joyful celebration of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And see if the things in your life don't begin to pale and begin to fade away. As you lift Him up, all those other things diminish in His presence every single time. Acts 2 verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all people. The fourth thing that we see is the church was empowered was empowered to influence. I said last week that this is a year of God's favor. We are going to see we're already seeing God expand our influence in this community. Uh, already things are happening, opportunities are coming. The Holy Spirit will enable you as an individual to be an influencer. That is what he's called us to be. He is the X factor in the Christian life. He is what makes you distinct. He is what separates you. He is what sets you apart. He is what causes people to say there's something different about that guy. I just don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something unique about them. I'm telling you what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. We can expect as Spirit-filled believers to carry with us God's favor and to find favor with people. We can expect God to open doors for us. Because here's the thing. As children of God, we have the power to speak to closed doors and command them to be open. We have the power to speak to mountains that are in our way and command them to be cast into the sea. That's the power that we have as Christian believers. Spirit-filled people. We can expect God to grant us special opportunities. Things that just come to us because we are God's children and He just favors us. So carry yourself with that understanding, not with arrogance or haughtiness, but with a sense of expectation and awareness of the access that you have because of Christ's work. I think that every one of us ought to go each and every day and everywhere we go with an expectation to influence those areas of life. Because I do believe as a Christian you can expect to influence every single area of life. Acts 1 and 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Everywhere you go, you can expect to be a witness of the power and the promises of God working in your life. You can change. You can change the spiritual climate In any situation. As a child of God, you have the power to change any spiritual climate in any situation. It doesn't matter how dark your work environment is. I can promise you this, that if you will commit to letting the Holy Spirit work through you, through you, then you can walk into that place and over time, you can change the spiritual climate of that environment. We have to be influencers of our workplace, our home life, our city, our nation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have that influence. Then lastly, verse 47. says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The last thing is that the church was empowered to reach lost people. I believe this, that when we are a learning church, 
when we are a loving church, when we are a worshiping church, when we are an influential church, we cannot help but be an evangelistic church. Lost people will come as a result of those other four attributes being activated in the life of the believer. It happens naturally. The Holy Spirit was not given to the church in order for salvations to be occasional or sporadic, but to be a regular occurrence. I've shared this stat with you before, but it fits this morning as well. Over half of the Assemblies of God churches in America will report no conversions for this last year. Not as, that's spirit-filled churches. Not one, they couldn't accidentally get somebody saved in the course of an entire year. What is wrong? We're not activating what God has given us in our lives. We're coming together, we're feeling good about being together, and we're doing nothing with it. We're going to be able to report over 50 people getting saved between kids and adults this last year. I'm thankful for that. We want to see more people get saved this year and start a life with Christ. Stats say this also, that 80% of people will come to church if someone they're in a relationship with asks them. 80% of people will come to church if someone they're in a relationship with will just simply ask them. And so I encourage you to invite somebody to church with you. Invite someone to come to church with you. And don't take the first no as a final. I'm not talking about pestering people to death, but I'm saying, you know, stick with it a little bit. Ask them. They say no. Pray. Spend some time praying about it. Let God open some doors. Let God begin to just work in those situations a little bit. And when the opportunity comes, when the Spirit leads you to ask them again, ask them again. And you repeat this until finally they say, you know what? I've been thinking about that. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. But He does that as a result of people initiating that in their own personal lives. Burnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after river.